This episode of Down to Business is brought to you by TF Moran, a leading land planning and engineering firm with offices in both Bedford and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Business Review, bringing you our Down to Business podcast for August 18th, 2021. Uh, this week, we have uh, as our guest, Dale Moano, who's the owner of Dale Moano Consultancy, who works with companies on cultural alignment issues, on uh, de- uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, on all kinds of stuff that uh, is really extremely important for businesses to focus on. And Dale is one of the best at doing this. Uh, anyway, Dale, thanks for joining us. I'm, I asked you to come on the podcast because of a... Uh, an article you, you've written that we're going to be publishing in the August 27th issue of the, of, of the Business Review. It's on, it is on on companies in turn who are that are trying to make their workplace culture more diverse, focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, they, and you've done that. You've helped a lot of business struggling to do to to work on that. But you mentioned that recruiting employees. It's not exactly the same as retaining them. And could you just explain a little bit what your difference is? You know, what what, what you're talking about when you when you when you were writing that. Well, thank thank you, Jeff, for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here with you and um, excited to talk about the, the the article that's going to be coming out soon. Um, a lot of my focus in this article really, I wanted to. There's there's a couple of differentiation, right? One is what attracts people to work for a company and and the effort that the company takes to recruit them. That's one thing. But the other side of it is the actual retention piece, people's ability to stay within a company. And, and there's various of reasons that, that contributes to it, but it's important for the company to be um, intentional in making sure that they understand the different uh, capacity that it takes for people to actually stick around. So with that, it's almost reverse, right? Part of the article, it's saying, if you focus a lot around what the retention effort is, that should actually inform what you do during the recruitment phase, right? So then once you have the people in that you've already mapped out, you have an understanding and you've put things in place that will likely increase the likelihood for them to stick around and thrive in your company. Okay, so so first of all, let me, I just wanted to say something. In your, uh, in your piece, you mentioned companies trying to recruit and retain minority employees. And could you explain how you, what the terminology is when we talk when you're talking about a minority employee, it's, it's a much more expansive uh, idea than I think what many people are thinking about. Yes. In, in many of the work I do, um, a lot of times I'm trying to help understand what the experience is for underrepresented um, population within an organization. So with that, th- they are essentially the minority of an organization, right? And the way that we classify it is uh, almost, it comes out of the, d- the definition of diversity, right? When you're looking at what's, what is a diverse workplace? There's so many different categories when you look at, you know, gender, when you look at um, politi- political ideology that people might have, ethnicity, age, right? Sometimes you even see region, right? Someone who's coming from one side of the country versus another side of the country coming to work for, for a company. So when I talk about minority employees in an article, I'm actually referring to 
those who are underrepresented within an organization based on the various identity that they bring. So sometimes, you know, when you when you look at ethnicity and race, that tends to be the the, the larger lens that most people focus on, which is really important. But there, we all have different attributes and characteristics that we have that shapes who we are. And sometimes it might not even be our ethnicity where we might find ourselves as being minorities, right? So I, I talk a lot about from an ideology standpoint, from thoughts, experiences. So that's what I mean when I say um, minority. Like currently I'm working with certain partners where they might not have an ethnicity issue within their organization because where they're located, most of their employees are predominantly one ethnic. But when you start looking at uh, their identity, you will actually start identifying where subcategories of their minority lies, right? So it might be a socioeconomic thing, right? Where a percentage of that workforce, they might be in um, much lower wages, where a good percentage of the, the rest of the workforce might be kind of middle class or, or high, upper class in terms of their salary. So then those who are getting paid less, they actually find themselves as part of being minorities of that organization, right? Yeah. So it could also be from an age standpoint. You might have employees where it's a workforce where it's predominantly, you know, 40s and 50-year-old or early 30s, and you have, um, you know, younger employees that are coming in that are not fully represented in terms of, you know, you might have a fewer number of folks that are um, Gen Zs, and, and, and there's a difference in terms of that demographic and how they operate hmm. and expectations in. So they might find themselves under a minority group, or you might have a company where it's predominantly male and you have a couple of female that work for that company. Those female employees might find themselves a minority, right? So I, I like to decompose the entire um, notion of minority only lies within ethnicity. I look at employees as a whole and try to see who finds himself you know, within the make of the organization and who they are and what they bring is, is celebrated and there's a representation there and who doesn't. And so sometimes it is an ethnicity thing. Sometimes it might be an age thing. All right, that, that's really interesting. Now, okay, so we're looking at it that way then. You're talking about when these people who you describe as minorities, minority employees, not being feeling fully integrated in, uh, in an organization. How, how does an organization go about moving towards more better integration of people into into their organization yeah that's a great question so i just want to just let the, the listener know the the, the the approach i took in the actual article i focused on high skill demand occupations right yeah. so so with that already there's a different sense of who has ownership and leverage right so if if the employee has high skill demand skills then the the the, the market is more beneficial to them because the market needs the skill set that they have right so so that is a very very big distinction to 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 look at because what ends up happening with many of the groups that I work with sometimes especially in this space, you know, it could be a doctor, it could be a lawyer, it, it could even be a plumber, it could be someone, you know, th there's an area where you need some technicians, and there is a shortage in technicians. So at any time where the demand lies, if it's a high skill demand job, 
then the employee actually they have more leverage because essentially they can go anywhere with the skill set that they have and find employment because their skill set is in demand so the focus on my article i wanted to highlight that because I, I find often that many organizations that bring me to work with them, sometimes they they underestimate that aspect of it. So therefore, they just put everything normal in place, how they typically operate when they're recruiting people. But they forget that if the individual has a high skill demand, they are always going to leverage the demand to decide if they're going to stick around or not, because they have more mm -hmm. options. Right. And so part of that in the article, I talk a lot about the internal influence. Right. So we, what's happening within the actual work itself that might impact the employee positively or negatively to stick around. But I also talk about what happens externally. Right. So meaning if somebody moves to a certain region for this particular job and if the region is a little bit different than what they're accustomed to, that will that will essentially impact their ability to feel if they can stick around or not, right? And, and that particular influence has nothing to do with what's happening within the workforce, right? Like with, within the company that they're working with, it, it could happen regarding family, right? Some people have children and what school the, the children go to, or some people have, um, you know, religion practices, right? A place of faith where they go and worship. Like if they don't have those essential community that's critical to them eventually it's going to impact their ability to stick around and that has nothing to do with the employer so that's why i always say the employer has to be intentional on on understanding who the employee is holistically so when they're recruiting them they're also thinking about what do we need to put in place internally to make sure that, that people feel a sense of belonging they feel included they feel considered but also what other things that we need to understand outside of work that that's critical for these folks to feel part of a community. So I, I, I'm, are you saying that, you know, companies should be more, um, they should focus more on who they're, who they're recruiting and understanding what their community has outside, outside of the business. You know, we don't have, well, let's say, uh, if you're in a, you're in a rural area and there's no, there's no real place for, for someone, who, uh, you know, someone of, uh, of color who has, has a certain kind of hairstyle or something, can't find something to do their hair or things of that nature. I'm not, I'm not, try, I'm not trying to belittle this in any way. I'm just, that's the first example I came up with. But that, that could be um, a, a hurdle that an employer is not really thinking about. Is that, is that, do I, is that what, I, what you're saying? Yes, indeed, Jeff. That is a okay. good example. And I write about that in the article, right? Um, and, and, and it varies from each person to another. So it doesn't mean that every person of color that's being recruited, that you know, essential care places that they have to go to will be a deciding factor if they're gonna stick around or not within living in that community. But it is important to understand that because for yeah. those that it matters, it does, make an, it does make an impact if that's a big thing in their life, right? For those that their religious you know, faith organization and faith community is an important part of, like it will make it will impact them over time, right? For those who who want to feel that, like you know, if they dress a certain way and they walk down the street, people are not gonna, you know, look at them different, think about them differently. Like all of that things matters, right? And mm -hmm. especially as an employer, because if you're bringing someone in to work for your organization and they're coming from the, from from a different experience 
and they have different expectation, like those factors are going to matter because what, what I've learned from a lot of my work is we tend to compartmentalize our experiences within our nine and five jobs, right? Meaning, hey, you, you know, you get your job done, this is your operational requirement. And most people do a pretty good job of separating personal life, right? Meaning like the stuff that's impacting them and all this stuff to what mm. they have to do with their day to day. But the reality is it still impacts them mm. it's still, because it's who they are, right? Who's there, who they are as humans, right? Like I, I, I was working with um, a doctor who was, uh, who was working in a, a rural area of New Hampshire and he got super involved within the community that he was in. I actually, I had that version of the story in the, in the article, but the article ended up being too long. So I took it out, but so he got super involved and, and, um, he started to experience certain things. And this is, this is an, an, a, a black doctor originally from England who moved to New Hampshire with the specific high demand skill set, spent about two and a half to three years here. And what he was telling me when I finally got a chance to meet with him, because people said, hey, you got to go meet with him because he's thinking about leaving and we think he's a good asset to have in our community. When I started talking to him, it was so interesting because he said, you know, as a minority, I've always knew what I needed to do to adapt and try to fit in. But there's certain things over the years that my family has experienced and I personally have experienced that over time it's just started to exhaust me. And so part mm -hmm. of my vision of contemplating if I'm going to stick around in New Hampshire or not, most of the reason has nothing to do with the work that I'm doing at the hospital. It actually has to do with the experience my wife and my children are having, right? So, so I found it so fascinating because one of the things that I was talking to him about, I was like, well, first of all, like where you decided to buy your house is not a very diverse community. So you're always going to have to drive 45 minutes to an hour and a half in order to, to get a little bit of culture that, you know, that's relevant to you, right? But it was so fascinating talking to him because I'm like, I thought about it. I was like, I wonder if, you know, the hospital was a little bit more intentional in making sure that, you know, he was connected with other communities, right? That, that might be similar to him. If that would have informed him a little bit more of how he landed, right? Where he decided to put root within uh, New Hampshire. And after that conversation, about eight months later, he left and went to a more metropolitan area. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because of that, because of that exhaustion of just like, hey, I don't really need to be here, right? Like, so, so that's why I, in in my article, I wanted to highlight the importance of the high demand skills, the flexibility that it gives to employees to decide if they're going to stick around or not, and and yeah. and and that's a perfect example for him where he was like, I can be a doctor anywhere, right? Like, like I, I, it's been exhausting to me in certain things that my family has experienced being here or or trying to conform right so much more that i'm kind of losing a sense of who i am where i can find another community in america that suits me right so so th those are the things that i've experienced a lot with many of the work that i do and i try to help employers understand that you have to think about your employees 360 360 because if they're going to come in and they're starting from scratch and they have to adapt and they have to do different things, they're going to have to figure out like, hey, what could what could what could move the needle for them to feel a, a better sense of belonging? Who else do we know in the community that can come alongside them? And what are we doing internally? 
right? Like, what are we doing internally? What happens if our team have never had a person of a minority group to that extent to be their leader, right? Like, what happened if all the males in our company, they've never had a female boss, right? How are they going to adopt and adapt to that, right? What happened if they've never had a uh, a person from from Middle East as a boss, right? Like, how are they going to adapt to that, right? And it goes both ways. It's not just a one-sided thing, but you have to create the space where to normalize what we don't know so then you can put the right things in place that helps people feel educated, especially in the internal side. You feel educated to understand, hey, here's some of the pre-notions that I have that might be negative that might not allow me to listen to my boss or follow the, their instruction because... I might actually have some biases being led by a woman or being led by an African-American or being led by someone who's much younger than me, right? Because mm -hmm. many yeah. of the issues employees face and feel internally, most of the time it goes back to some of those examples that I just gave, some of the criteria. But the problem is we don't create the space within our workforce to address some of these issues. And then when negative stuff starts happening, People are like, oh, what's going on? What's happening? But those who are in the receiving end, they can already identify certain incidents where they feel like, yeah, this is a sexism thing. Like that person clearly does not respect me. Look at how they're talking to me. Look at how they're responding back to me, right? And if it's yeah. a high skill, over time, that person's going to pack up and go to another place where they can culturally fit. Hmm. Hey, this is really fascinating. I just want to take one little break here. We'll be right back. For more than 53 years, T.F. Moran has been a leading land planning and engineering firm. With offices in both Bedford and Portsmouth, their professional service areas include civil, structural, and traffic engineering, land surveying, landscape architecture, environmental, shoreland, and wetland permitting, stormwater monitoring, as well as other construction support services. T.F. Moran utilizes the latest technology, putting their expertise to work to deliver high-quality, cost-effective, and low-impact solutions to best serve their clients. They are proud to be involved in some of New Hampshire's largest development projects, such as the SNHU Milliard Parking Garage in downtown Manchester, Woodmont Commons in Londonderry, and Whole Foods and the Market and Main Development in Bedford. At TF Moran, they are deeply committed to the communities in which they live and work. They are honored to have received the New Hampshire 200 Award and the Business Excellence Award from New Hampshire Business Review. And they are proud to have been voted the best of business in the engineering category for the last nine years in a row. Please visit them at tfmoran.com to view their project portfolio and learn more about the company. Okay, we're back. I'm talking with Dale Moano of Dale Moano Consultancy. And Dale, you know, you, you, you're talking about the community, the community at large that really plays a big role in helping to uh, attract diverse employees to a company because you want people, uh, diverse, a community wants diversity in it or should have, should want diversity in it. And I remember, I remember a, a conversation I had with a bunch of business people in the Keene area. And Keene, Keene's a, it's, it's a really interesting city. It's a very progressive city. And uh, they were lamenting the, the inability of the Keene area to attract and retain 
people, uh, you know, a, a diverse population. They wanted to have a diverse population, and in some ways, they they do attract people a diverse population for a short period of time at the college, at Keene State College. But a lot of the uh, the kids don't stay, and they were they were talking about the reason with this was because they didn't have what they were talking about as the infrastructure. Like if you if you're let's say a Latino or someone from from Africa and 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 you have certain kinds of foods that you like, you can't find them in Keene. There's no place to buy them. It was, you know, that, that was the kind of very specific examples they were given, and and that's that's what that's reminding me when, when you're saying this. But anyway, I just wanted to say also, are there things that uh, that employers can do specifically? What what kind of things can employers do specifically to address this need? You know, in terms of bringing people in and trying to make a more inclusive uh, atmosphere environment. Yes, no, that's a great question. And and, and I kind of highlighted that in the article. Uh, I think it's really important for employers to be intentional on identifying what their culture is, right? So meaning like, what's the moving parts of your organization that makes who you are, right? And, and, and part of that is not just relying on the positive statements and, and intention that you have around what your culture is. It's also being able to identify things that might not be so Awesome, right? It's things that needs to be changed, right? So part of that is who are we? What makes us? How do we communicate? How do we engage? How do we celebrate one another? But part of that is also where are areas that we need for improvement, right? And then you identify who makes our organization right now. Who's driving the decisions, right? What's the culture here? Are we a humor organization? Are we because all of that stuff is really important as you identify how do we bring others to our organization? Because if you're able to identify those things early on, then it's much easier to, to, to start being more intentional by saying, well, if we brought someone from this background or from that background, how would they fit in? And what, you know, would, would, are we, do we, have we set in a good enough culture where they can contribute, where we can learn from, they can learn from, and, 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 and you know, those, are, I think that's the starting point. Because what happens is a lot of times when organization brings me in, when I'm doing this kind of a cultural assessment of who they are, I'll, most of the time they don't even know what their culture is, right? Like, but you see it in their in their uh, in their workforce management system that they use. Oh, we're this, we're that, but they're not really like assessing it and measuring it on a consistent basis in order to really say, this is who we are. So one of the exercises that I do with many of the organizations I work with, I take their mission statement and value statements, and I say show me where those examples are actually happening right and so the, so then sometimes what happens is you begin to see where the gaps are because they say oh we're actually not really doing this we're not really doing that i think it's important to do that first right and then mm -hmm. the second is you have to be able to be intentional in trying to figure out what do you not what do you not know about different groups that are not represented within your organization right now, right? If it might be LGBTQIA plus groups, it might be, uh, it might be uh, from an age standpoint, it might be from a, from a gender identity standpoint, it might be from a, all the different categories under diversity. And then say, okay, now that, so part of that is building alliances, right? There might be an, another organization within the same industry as you that's more diverse, what can you learn from them, what they've learned and what, what their best practices are? Because that's really important because it allows you to give you a little framework of where you go before you even start making changes, right? And then most important part is when you start 
thinking about your recruitment process, you have to be intentional in gathering the important information about your, your potential employees. What do they like to do for fun? What do they do for social activities? Do they belong to a faith community or an infinity group? Are they part of um, what type of food do they like to eat, right? Where do they go for dining, right? What do they do, like to do for entertaining? Where do they go for personal hygiene? You know, obviously in a, in a reasonable way that you're not invading people's privacy, but that information is so important because as you start thinking about if we brought this person in, are we going to set them up for success by them feeling mm -hmm. a sense of belonging, sense of inclusion? And more importantly, having the professional career pathway for advancement internally. And this is where many organizations struggle in many of the work that I do. Some organizations are really good at um, recruiting diverse candidates, and they might have certain areas where you see inclusivity. But then when you start looking from an equity standpoint, you have managers that don't really know how to give critical feedback to, to employees of diverse background. It might be uh, a, you know, a female employee, or it might be a person of color that, that they choose not to give those constructive feedback and it prohibits the professional development of that individual. So when opportunity comes for promotion, those people are, over, are always overlooked, right? So it's really, really important to be able to get to know the candidates and get to know who they are and figure out what do you need to do to create that. And I also think the responsibility is different from those who are the executives because they make the rules and the policies. They need to have a DEI lens, right? They have to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens in order to understand it. Because sometimes some of the changes you need to make, it, it's costly, right? And most mm -hmm. organizations, when cost is associated, they're going to be a little bit more apprehensive in putting those changes in place. So that's why you need a buy-in from the executive team. And then you need to also understand from a supervisor or a director role who are working with the individuals on a consistent basis, what do they need? How can they create a space that doesn't feel polarizing, right? It doesn't feel marginalizing, but it's intentional and it creates a space of learning. So many of the organizations that I work with, I tell them, you got to create a culture where everybody's learning and, you're, and, and you use the learning to inform the make of your organization, because a lot of this stuff is ongoing, right? Like you can't just have a be all end all. And you say, oh, we're good. We implemented part of being human. We change every day, right? So our culture, the culture of an organization has to be adaptable. But the only way to do it is by meeting people where they are and being open to make the proper changes. That's I mean, that's true. I mean, that's that's true from the very beginning of time is what you need to be doing. But it's much more important even today because there's because so many organizations uh, in New Hampshire in particular are, are trying to really address this idea of coming up with, you know, developing a more diverse and equitable workforce. Anyway, Dale Moano, I really want to appreciate it. And I wanted to say this, this article is going to appear in the August 27th issue of the, of the New Hampshire Business Review. And also, Dale is going to be a panelist uh, in our upcoming uh, event coming up on September 16th. I think that's the right day, right? No, September 15th, before uh, Ernesto got, you know, fires me or something for messing up the date. September 15th. <laughs> push back a day early, so you're good. Yeah, so September 15th, it's on uh, DEI. Uh, it's, it's called DEI from Talk to Action, Building an Inclusive Culture. And Dale will be joining up some other people on the panel talking about this for organizations. And I, and I really encourage people to, to check this out. I think it's going to be a great event. Very, and as you can hear from Dale, it's going to be really very instructive. And I think there's going to be a lot of takeaways for, uh, for, for people who are attending the, uh, the event. 
anyway, Dale, thanks once again. I really appreciate you coming on the uh, on the podcast. Hope to invite you back again sometime. And uh, it's Dale Moano of Dale Moano Consultancy. And this is Jeff Feingel on behalf of Ernesto Burden, our producer and publisher, saying be well, everybody.